So this is your host, Ibrahim Hindi, with my co-host, Sheikh Abdullah Aduru. Really happy to be uh, live with all of you weekly, as we do here on Sincerely Yours. And as you know, this is a show where we get to bring on a lot of different speakers and teachers and students of knowledge and scholars uh, to join us, where we can talk to them, learn more from them, ask them about their lives. And it's a great opportunity for you to access them, too. This is a great opportunity for you to send in your questions and your comments throughout the session. And we have a portion of time towards the end where we take some questions from you, the audience, and we present it to our guest and we talk about it, inshallah. So this is a great opportunity for connection between you and the different guests that we get. So Sheikh Abdullah, um, you know, going through these sessions, you know, what's something that you've learned over this time? Throwing your curveball right to start. <laughs> Uh, going through these section, sessions, uh, mashallah, you learn some unexpected things about the people that you just worked with, you know, mashallah, in the professional realm, but subhanAllah, some unexpected aspects about their life, which makes it much more interesting, right? So I Perhaps. think that's what's beautiful about it. You always, you see the human side of people, and I think you learn to appreciate people for who they are, because, uh, you know, and sometimes it's just asking the question about them, but you learn new things, and it it makes you ask yourself questions about yourself as well. So alhamdulillah. Absolutely, subhanAllah. And, and sometimes, you know, we think we know some of these speakers and guests that we bring on because we've interacted with them and we get to know them a lot better uh, just through asking them questions on, on the show live with everybody with us. And as always, you know, we want to say salam to everyone. We know we have a lot of uh, people who are watching, tuning in from across the world. So mm -hmm. feel free, inshallah, to give us salam. I see Sister Maryam from Ottawa giving us salam. Um, and so everybody, inshallah, around the world, you know, throw in your, um, give us your salam, inshallah, from where you're at, so we can uh, respond salam to you as well. And uh, inshallah, give us your questions, put them in the chat, inshallah, we'll see them and hopefully we'll be able to take them and, and bring them forward to our guests, inshallah. We have a guest today uh, that's no stranger to myself or, or Sheikh Abdullah, uh, Dr. Omar Hussein, inshallah, will be joining us. Uh, he graduated from an Azhar University with a degree in Islamic Studies in Arabic. He has a PhD in Counselor Education and is an assistant professor at Seattle University in the Clinical Mental Health Department. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Omar. How are you? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Pleasure to be here. Alhamdulillah. It's great having you with us. So one thing people don't know, uh, Dr. Omar likes to write up lists of jokes and uh, send them around and sometimes to those of us at Yaqeen. So uh, I'm hoping I don't end up on a list after this, inshallah. That's just my, my first hope. I think that's <laughs> a very, very low probability of that happening. Uh, as a matter of fact, you actually just uh, gave me the idea. So I, I, I definitely look, look forward to it. Um, for those who are uh, not familiar with the internal uh, workings at Yaqeen. I, I think at this point, that's the only reason I'm at Yaqeen, to be quite honest, <laughs> just to send out top five lists <laughs> uh, about nothing important or really relevant to the mission of Yaqeen, but uh, just to keep it light, inshallah. So uh, we'll, we'll look No, I mean, that it, has, it has some connection. We're certain, we have Yaqeen in you, that you will, you will furnish Allah. us with those five, Sheikh. Come on. Allah 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 I'm going with that. <laughs> So, Dr. Omar, you know, uh, so much of your work has to do, I, I know you do a lot of counseling on the side, along with your research, and, and uh, I'm sure giving lectures on mental health. And I think a good place to start here is, you know, your job as a 
counselor or the work that you do as a counselor, seeing so many different Muslims who are reaching out to you and talking to you, maybe since you like doing lists, what would be the top three list of problems that you see, like trends that you see that's happening amongst Muslim youth across North America? So I will, I'm not going to give a top three, but uh, perhaps to give a better understanding, I will say this, and, and I think this will, will clarify things. Nothing that affects the greater population that we live in, speaking um, in a context from Muslims living um, in the West, I know we have viewers from all over the world, but even that would be included to some extent. Uh, the Muslim community is not immune from anything that's happening in greater society. So whether that is alcohol, drugs, um, sexual morality, you know, uh, parents, uh, problem with parents and children and, uh, you know, marriage, marital problems, domestic violence, there's nothing that we are immune from. So I think rather than saying, uh, you know, having a top list, I would say that really anything any of the common issues that are happening in the greater society um, almost certainly are affecting the Muslim community. So no point in keeping uh, our heads buried in the sand. That, that is the reality. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Oh, bless you. No, no, go ahead. I think you had a question. No, I mean, that's important. And it's very interesting because, you know, when you move to another land or another country and, you know, uh, myself being first generation American, Sometimes the parents don't realize, and I'm almost sure, Shikhi, mean, you dealt with this, you know, being an imam of a masjid and, you know, um, dealing with the youth a lot. Um, sometimes the parents are oblivious to the normalities of that culture, of that place that they live in, right? Whether it's video games or, you know, Jay-Z, you know, wh wh whatever it may be, the parents are oblivious to that. And then when they see it, they don't know how to respond, <clears throat> right? So um just hearing that i think is important for parents to know that look dare i use the words product of society is that would that be accurate or is that you know are will somewhat be affected by the societal norms good bad and ugly i mean we're keeping it 100 here on sincerely oh, yeah. yes yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I would say that's 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 exactly that's really what it is um i i was uh I make this sort of half joke, like, uh, and I'm not trying to be controversial, but uh, you know, it's like, um, like, is Islamic schools are like public schools with Muslim kids. Mm. <laughs> of course, I'm I'm totally being unfair, mm. um, and 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 every school is different, and there's many pros, no question about mm. it. But mm. just you know, to kind of just just to give a little idea, touching on your point, yes, and I think it, it, also really important point you mentioned there's also the positives right it's 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 easy to just focus on the negatives but i can tell you for example things such as um just talking about race i think is drastically different uh than than perhaps an environment that many of us grew up in which is a very positive thing um and maybe ideas about uh equality in terms of uh you know socioeconomic status or things like that what what a masjid should look like you know who we're catering to uh, underserved populations in the masjid. I think these are healthy uh, and robust conversations that we're having, and this is definitely a uh, a positive thing that we that we pick up from the environment that we grow grow up in. So it, it works both ways, no question about it. I mean, subhanAllah, even addressing mental health, 
right? I mean, that's one of the pluses definitely in this society that look, making it an issue that we need to be concerned about our mental health. And then subhanAllah, the likes of yourself, you know, I mean, dedicating your career and your time to that for, for human beings in general in the Muslim community and specific that, um, you know, taking that, being intentional about, uh, you know, paying attention to our mental health. I think subhanAllah, you know, and then now taking it back to, you know, we see with the scholars of the past, mashallah, they talked about it directly or indirectly within their works. So jazakallah um, khairan. I thought it was interesting that you said, you know, even though we're talking about North America to a great extent, it's kind of affecting the world. Um, and I was thinking even, this is a strange story, when I was maybe in grade four or five and uh, my parents went for Hajj and they left me in Egypt with my family, um, my extended family. And I remember she took me to the Nadi, which is like the club, the public <laughs> club where people come together and they have like a park and things like that. And all of a sudden, they started singing and dancing to the Macarena. I don't know if you remember that, <laughs> that song that, that went viral in America. But the thing was like that. So that whole Macarena thing was like huge in America, in North America for a while. And then it was like done. Nobody wanted anything to do with it for like a few years. And so this was a few years later. All of a sudden, they're singing and dancing to it in Egypt. After like America is like that's so lame at this point. So things would take time to get to like Egypt. They would take time to get to Saudi Arabia. Things that were happening in, in America, North America, when we were younger. Now, with the internet, anything that happens in America, tomorrow it's in Saudi Arabia. They're hearing about it. Tomorrow it's in, you know, all around the world. So, yeah, these problems of depression, mental health, addiction, uh, gender issues, it seems like it's just not, it's not just us. It's everywhere, right? Um, and, and that's what I'm hearing from people overseas as well like they're seeing these things as well maybe not as intense as we are but they're still seeing it i mean globalization is real uh there's there's no delay there's no lag uh sheikh yusuf qaradawi he wrote a book uh, al-islam wal-ulama right just addressing this this topic um so yes and and i would say many of the things are, are prevalent um perhaps they're hidden a little bit more in the Muslim lands. Uh, overall, maybe they're a little bit less. There's still many positive things that we have, of course, in, um, in Muslim culture, alhamdulillah. Um, but I, I don't think we've ever been immune from it. I mean, if I think back in my life, several family members and friends, and none of the explanations made sense back then of what was happening with them, and now it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. It's like, so how does somebody who is highly functioning now just living at home and they're like, 49 years old like it doesn't like what what happened oh you know they just don't get out much you know it didn't didn't make any sense or you know you hear you know you're, you're praying a janazah and what happened oh you know young healthy person you know yeah you know just there was some accident happened and of course you learn that these are these are suicides right that are being sort of covered up it's like what these so these issues were happening i just think now it's naturally there's more children in the family, they're older now, and it's just more prevalent in society. But again, it, it, we're certainly not immune from it, um, whether it's in an American context or really anywhere in the world. So if you don't mind, I just want to back up real quick. What made you or pushed you to get into this science? And before that, I mean, if you can just give us a brief background of your 
you know, your background, like where you started in Islamic studies and what pushed you to study Islam. And then from there, what pushed you to go into this field? Sure. So uh, I don't have an exciting story for what got me interested in Islamic studies. And to that, I say, Alhamdulillah. <laughs> I, I know I know the stories are great. The stories are great, you know, uh, a, a tragedy or something. I'm not d diminishing or downplaying. Everyone has their own journey, of course. Um, but my journey, I mean, it's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I kind of grew up praying. Pretty normal sort of household. Wasn't, wasn't a home of scholars or anything like that. Um, I, I remember reading like the Quranic translations when I was eight or nine years old even with the cryptic English that they had available then. I just kind of read it. I mean, why it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just kind of read it and uh, steadily just sort of, uh, you know, just kind of went along with life and prayer was important, not missing prayer was important. Um, trying to do the right thing was important. Doesn't mean I was perfect, of course, in any by any means, but um, it wasn't this, and, and this I think is really important for younger listeners, it wasn't this sort of really doing the wrong thing maybe or living a life we don't want to live and then just sort of flipping it completely. Yeah. If that happened, that's a ni'mah from Allah. That's a great blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it doesn't have to be like that. Uh, sometimes it can just be a slow sort of journey. And that's how it was for me until I probably got to about college and realized I think I kind of maxed out uh, what I could learn um, at that time with, the, in my, with my local sources. And I wanted to go and study more in depth because uh, I wanted to be able to answer these questions that I had for myself, mm -hmm. um, okay. which without having to always rely on someone or not be, being able to find an answer. Um, and it's amazing, even in just a span of maybe 10 years, how many more resources there are, alhamdulillah. That's a very beautiful thing to see. But so I, it just wasn't enough. So uh, I, I was working in uh, my degree was in information sciences. That's what I was working in. Uh, pretty good job, alhamdulillah. And then uh, told the family that uh, this is the, the path I want to go. It was met with some concern. And now that I look back on it, I can totally understand why. Mm. It's like, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to support yourself? Um, which is understandable. And I think as you grow older and start your own family, you just kind of, you understand more the perspectives. Mm. Um, and and the, the most beautiful thing is, is those people were really not for it who are like, now like your biggest supporters and everything like it's just it, it, well like there's like no animosity whatsoever it's just yeah. it's just the cycle had to complete right alhamdulillah mm -hmm. um so with that you know I, I went a bunch of places and and tried to find my footing it was a struggle until i finally went to egypt and uh, had a lot of misconceptions about egypt mm. uh, but then i met the brothers there and okay. the students there and i said this is beautiful it's like people from all different uh, backgrounds, uh, not just ethnically, but even approach to these. I think you're muted. I guess the Bluetooth the battery went down. Yeah, the wireless <laughs> didn't work there. You there? Nope, nope. still can't hear you. Okay. Well, mashallah. So I guess we'll, uh, he's going to come back, inshallah. Inshallah. 
Yeah, so mashallah, I want to ask him when he comes back, you know, uh, it's, I'm glad he mentioned that because a lot of times it's always people are waiting for like a glory story or, you know, somebody came, they weren't religious and then came back and saw the light, you know, um, which obviously is showing that he was born Muslim. Uh, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I want to ask him where it was and also where he, um, who was it in his life that really just kind of, was there someone in his life that kind of pushed him to, to go on and choose to study? Uh, Islam, because he mentioned he maxed out on that, and there was some inclination for him to want to go and study. Then he also mentioned that there was a, there was a, 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 a what do you call it? Not a struggle, but there was, he was trying to go and find a way to go study until he ran into Egypt. So what that struggle was like is very, very interesting, because that usually happens to a lot of people. You know, when they want to go study and they try to find different places to study and then applying for overseas to study can be kind of a kind of a task, you know. Yeah, subhanAllah. I think it's just it's really um, intimidating, like the idea of just going to a different country entirely and, and you know, you know, going with a bunch of scholars, you don't know their language and you're going to try to learn from them and students that you don't know that well um, or at all. SubhanAllah, it can be a real big challenge. Let's see, inshallah, if he's uh, back. Assalamu alaikum. Nope, it's still not working. No. <laughs> SubhanAllah. That's right, inshallah. So, how long have you known Sheikh Omar? <clears throat> uh, only from joining Yaqeen. So, okay. Uh, about a year and a half or so. Yeah, I've known him for a while. I've known him since like 2014. Oh, wow. Inshallah. It is mastered in San Antonio. He was the imam over there in San Antonio. And uh, I had an organization for converts to Islam. And uh, I used to give seminars in different masajid. So the mm -hmm. seminar I was giving was to converts and then to people that wanted to help with converts. Mm -hmm. So it was that seminar that we did for like convert coaches. So Alhamdulillah it was nice. He was very welcoming, very warm. Community is very warm in San Antonio. Beautiful community, mashallah, tabarakallah. Mashallah. Uh, yeah, it was nice, mashallah. Actually, good. Still not. I think so. It, it, let me oh, ask you. Did that, we hear you. Did that go out after I said I used to work in IT. That would have been hilarious. Close. I have no idea. I know the headphones died and it wasn't unmuting. But you said used to used to work in IT. So used it's to, really that's right. This is perfect. That's this is excellent. Alhamdulillah. But yeah, so I was just. Uh, you know, I, I just decided at some point that I just wanted to learn more. And then I, I, I saw this beautiful uh, blend of uh, not just uh, ethnicities, but also just approaches and thinking um, from different parts of the world in Egypt, um, a much uh, which wasn't really what I had heard about about Egypt in general. So we went back and uh, got married and found someone that wanted to come along as well. Alhamdulillah, went and went back to, to Egypt and, and was able to complete the program there. So that was sort of the uh, Islamic studies part. Now, I had always been pretty calculated about what I wanted to do when I came back. And I know that a lot of imams struggle, right, to say the least. The experiences are, are difficult. So I wanted to set myself up for success. And, and one of the pieces of advice I received was from uh, a sheikh who actually at that time, he had done marriage and family therapy, which was unheard of. Uh, for in a, a religious scholar and really still is even even in the Islamic sense. It's it's a little bit more now, but it's I still wouldn't say it's exactly common. 
Um, so he used to say, he said, you should, you should study marriage and family therapy because if you can deal with couples, you can deal with anything. That's what he used to say. Um, but uh, that, that, I said, okay, you know, uh, but I was more interested sort of in, in the mental health field, uh, which of course there's some overlap, but there's specializations. Mm -hmm. So uh, I came back from Egypt to San Antonio, Texas, and um, went there because I thought there was an opportunity, didn't have any family there, um, but it seemed like it would be a chance, you know, to build something. So alhamdulillah, I went there and a year in, I joined a master's program in mental health. And I thought the first, I thought I would just be fighting people because they'd be like, I'm this weird religious person. And there's all these enlightened secularists in graduate school. And uh, the first class I took, the we're introducing ourselves. So everybody's kind of introducing themselves. And they say, ah, you know, my name is Bob. I work at the methadone clinic. You know, my name is Jennifer. I work at the suicide hotline. Then they come to me and you know, I'm like, you know, my name is Omar and I work as a religious director uh, at a mosque in San Antonio. Everybody's head kind of starts looking <laughs> over here like, what? <laughs> did, they, did they mess up on admissions? What's going, what's going on? And uh, the, um, the instructor, I remember he, he kind of paused and he looks at me. He's like, oh, so you're an imam. I'm like, wow. <laughs> now, my title officially was religious director, but, uh, you know, obviously the the, the work is often kind of interchangeable. So mm -hmm. I said, yeah. So he said, okay, let me ask you a question. Do you see a conflict between your beliefs and science? This is the first question. So mm -hmm. without hesitation, I was like, no. And it was kind of like one of those like, no, next question type of deals. Not like, uh, no, no, I, I don't, you know, not mm -hmm. one of those things. It was just like a straight nice. up, no. Nice. Can we move on to the next boring introduction? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, he kind of pauses after I say that and he's like, yeah, you know, I don't think I do either. And then he moves on. <laughs> now, what was very interesting, he was uh, what, what we would call a humanist. So not very religious, but we have uh, formed a friendship that lasts to this day. We've uh, worked on research together. I invite him to the masjid um, for a program that we were having on sort of different perspectives. Uh, and alhamdulillah, never compromising uh, our values or trying to be something that we're not. Um, but it's just interesting how things, you know, I, I often say people respect you more when you're straight with them rather than trying to dance around and, and try to fit into something that you're not. So from there, I just started going I, and uh, going through the program and I, I was really enjoying it. I saw a lot of benefit you could take to the community. Um, I, I think because of my background, I was able to sort of take out what was problematic because they talk a lot about cultural sensitivity and, relating to who you're counseling. And I was, you know, I, I could kind of see like cross-reference things with the with the Quran and the Sunnah and I was just having a lot of fun. Um, so I went through that and then decided let's just keep going and, and went through with the doctorate. And my dissertation was on uh, pornography use in the American Muslim community uh, because the idea again was to do something that would actually get to the community, not to just be in that ivory tower. So Alhamdulillah, that's what I did. And uh, you know that was that's that was sort of the journey uh, throughout. Uh, it was it was a long journey, but alhamdulillah, it's uh, still still evolving and moving on. But uh, it's a lot of fun, alhamdulillah. What was your motivation behind choosing that title, that topic for your dissertation? Were there certain some stats or what you saw in the community or communities, what you've heard, seen? Uh, I saw. 
young people, people's parents, older people, this seemed to be a recurring theme that people were coming with that I struggle with this issue. Um, I had one person in particular, I can't forget, he was older, very successful from the outside. If you're looking sort of from a, from the, from a third uh, bird's eye view, you know, had, had kids, nice job, married a long time, uh, role model to the youth, right, khatib. Um, but he was telling me how he had planned his own suicide because of uh, the cycle that he was stuck in, that he, that he wasn't able to shake you know, when, with his pornography addiction. And he was telling me in his town that he lived the exact highway and everything. And before he did that, he was at a restaurant, it was like a movie scene. He's talking to some random stranger and he tells him what he's going to do. And the stranger says, you know, I think you're the most selfish person I've ever met. You're, you're just going to take the easy way out and leave everyone that relies on you, you know, that, that is close to you, just going to leave them out to dry and end your pain by just taking your own life. So alhamdulillah, Allah gave him that guidance to not do that. And not only did he not do that, um, and of course, I'm not going to give any personal details, but he overcame his struggle and he is someone who now helps in the community in his capacity with other people that struggle with this. So uh, it was a very low point that he reached, but alhamdulillah, he was able to turn it around. But that was that was one, but there was many, many incidences where this just kept coming up and coming up. Um, so I said, you know, uh, I wonder what I can write about, which might be of benefit to the community. Uh, I could have taken probably a safer route, you know, written something on like Islamophobia or something like that. Uh, but that's not the route that I wanted to take. The only problem is, and I mentioned this, is I could never tell my parents what my dissertation topic was on. You know, my dad would like ask me, like, you were doing something on addictions. I'm like, yeah, 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 addiction, addiction. That's right. <laughs> the, the only time they knew my topic was at the defense. And at that point, they don't care because you're like, alhamdulillah, you know, you have. <laughs> so you could have written on whatever you wanted to wrote, <laughs> right? Uh, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, but alhamdulillah, now we have, you know, uh, more open conversations about it. Uh, but it, it's certainly there in the community. It doesn't just affect young men. It affects women as well, young women. Uh, really, no one is spared. Yes, proportionally, it's still greater uh, with men. I mean, that's just reality of who we are biologically, psychologically. Um, and the Prophet ﷺ told us that this was uh, certainly... Uh, a challenge you know the opposite sex is uh, a challenge for us um so you know um uh, but it's just the accessibility the ability the the ability to uh, remain anonymous uh, you don't even have to really pay for anything anymore it's just been very very challenging and it's widespread you know we talked about earlier it's not um it's not just limited to a certain region it's really anywhere with an internet connection so that was sort of the idea um, behind that topic. And alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm glad that I pushed through and did that. I think there's been some good things that have come from that, alhamdulillah. So this brother, subhanAllah, like his pornography addiction was so severe that he was he was willing to commit suicide even with having a wife and kids and all that. Um, it just makes me think like what must have been going through his head. On the one hand, you'd think he probably didn't have anyone to talk to no support on the other hand you probably think he's constantly speaking to himself saying i'm such a hypocrite that i'm doing this and then he does it again and then he feels like even more of a hypocrite and just kind of destroys himself internally so how do you how would you 
how would you deal with a situation like that? A brother in the community has that kind of problem or a sister with that kind of problem. How do you fix their thinking as they're destroying themselves mentally? Yeah, so it's, it's getting caught in that whole shame cycle and it's never ending. So the biggest obstacle, which is still prevalent today, although maybe it's slightly better, is there's just no outlet. There's, mm -hmm. there's no one to even go to to say, I have this problem. I mean, who, who are you going to go to? You're going to go to your parents? Um, you're going to go to someone in the community? Then you're going to be thinking, well, how could I tell them that, right? They're like, what do you mean? You're setting up the events for us at the masjid. What do you, what do you mean you have this issue? Uh, people have reached out to me who, you know, uh, people would know them. There's no question about that. Um, but, uh, you know, every it's a struggle. It's a struggle for some people. Some, a lot of times, you know, there's the average age of exposure is getting younger and younger. It's not like people were intentionally trying to do this sometimes. So uh, I, that lack of empathy, uh, you know, it's just it's not really fair, given the environment we grow up in with the, with the devices and the technology and the accessibility. So the biggest obstacle still is that there is no outlet to go for regardless of who it is. And so if you don't have anywhere to go, then what are you going to do? You're just going to keep retreating and going back and back and back. Um, one of there's some outlets now. So the program uh, Purify Your Gaze is something I joined recently, which is completely anonymous and online. Uh, you never have to uh, reveal who you are. And there's various, um, you know, what they call coaching similar to counseling. Um, you have uh, other resources, um, you know, things you can get through. Uh, you have a community there, again, all anonymous. And this is a big step, inshallah, towards, um, towards that. But locally, you know, again, there's just the, the people that came to me, they don't need to hear is haram. Right. They, they already know that. That's why they're there in the first place. Uh, they don't need me to tell them to lower their gaze right um and so they just need help navigating and not everyone has we use this word addiction not everyone has an addiction um but it's from sort of our filter i think is muslims our natural disposition any amount of something we see like that we're not comfortable with it right and so um you know if, if it's not excessive it can be overcome right but if there's no out if there's no avenue to go then it just can get worse and worse over time you know, the, there's no question the best way to prevent it is early, starting early. We don't have the luxury with our kids to not bring up these subjects. Age appropriate, of course, but we got to start early and often and, and, and you know, speak about these things. Um, because if we don't, they're going to learn it somewhere else. Yes, yeah, so that, that's, that begs the question. Um, is there a, I guess, one size fits all answer in regards to Islamic schools and sexual education? I remember I was at an Islamic school and there was a non-Muslim brother, you know, working there. And he came to me and he's like, brother, can you please, please, please tell these individuals, these people here at this school that they need a sex ed class. They will not let me, let me teach sex ed. So you're Muslim and maybe they'll listen to you, but they won't let me teach sex ed. So what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Sexual education, um, courses, classes, uh, as a subject matter uh, in, 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 in school. And I'm saying in school, cause I don't know whether it's elementary, high or high school, middle school or high school. 
So uh, it would be interesting to survey Islamic schools across the country and see if there is any sort of formal Islamic sexual education class or sexual ethics. Uh, I, it's hard for me to answer that because I'm not in sort of that realm, but I, I know we work with a lot of schools. It is uh, obligatory. I, I don't know any other way to go about it, um, whether it's gender interaction, uh, you know, sexual morality, so many things, right? One of the challenges with 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 this issue is that it is very much natural and a part of who we are, right? If we were on an island somewhere, we would still kind of figure out, you know, how to how humanity keeps going. Like this is natural, uh, whereas a lot of other things are sort of artificial, you know, like gaming or even alcohol. Like if you take the alcohol away, we don't naturally crave alcohol. You crave it because you get in a social environment, you try it, you get addicted to it, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not like something you're born with that, oh, I just need some alcohol. Um, for me personally, I, even though I've been around those environments, I never had a desire to try alcohol for a variety of reasons. Um, but, you know, for when it comes to the sexuality, that's something that's innate and it's a part of us. Um, so it would be, a, it's a, absolutely obligatory to, to address it. Um, because like I said, if we don't, they're going to learn it somewhere else. Somewhere else. Right. Yeah. yeah. My feeling is that most schools, Islamic schools are not teaching it. And the ones that are, are, it's maybe like a very stripped down version, right. not many details, not much. Uh, I think, and I think they want to teach. I, I just don't think they, they're, I think they're intimidated by it and they're worried about teaching too much too quickly or just not framing it properly for children. So you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect our communities because it's such a difficult area to navigate these days. Uh, Sheikh, one, one question I was going to ask, you know, people need, when they, when they have these, whether it's depression or addiction and they need to reach out to someone, do you recommend they reach out to even non-Muslims or do you recommend that they only look for counselors who are Muslim? So in an ideal setting, you would have a... I don't like to use these words, but just for, since we use them often, a practicing Muslim counselor. I think that would be the most comfortable for someone. Um, and uh, certainly that's needed. Uh, that being said, you may have access to a Muslim counselor who doesn't have, uh, you know, a, a practicing sort of, uh, or doesn't have sort of a view of sort of, I don't know what the word is, uh, normative, let's call it, normative Islamic beliefs. Um, mm -hmm. So sometimes we'll find uh, Muslim counselors have, they've, they've kind of been secularized, right? Because when you go through these programs, uh, they're not teaching you, uh, you know, they're, they're very sort of biased, even though they say they're not, they're biased towards um, to people who believe in religious beliefs and often see them as oppressive and things like that, right? So, um, if you are with someone like that, then that can actually cause more damage because imagine you have like a, um, you know, a, a young teen or someone you're sending and they're getting these sort of mixed messages because they're not really getting the Islamic perspective on things. So that can be problematic. So it's very important that we vet who we are, uh, who we would want to see, regardless of whether they have the, a Muslim name, regardless of whether they have a hijab on or not. It's very important that right. we do that. Um, and we can ask some really, really basic questions, which will, which will show us. Um, so I'll just, sorry, I don't mean to interject, but I just wanted to give you an example of this that I heard from a Muslim woman. 
that she was seeing a counselor who was non-Muslim woman. And she mentioned to her, said to her over their sessions that, you know, I'm a Muslim woman. I can't have relationships outside of marriage. And the counselor was kind of like, well, what's the worst thing if you did that? Kind of using, like, pushing her to test that boundary as though that boundary is like a negative thing that's causing unhappiness in her life that you have to break through this. Like, what's the big deal if you did it? Why not try it? What's the worst thing that would happen if you did, you know, have sexual relationships outside of marriage? So I just want to give that as an example. Like this is a non-Muslim counselor kind of almost counseling the person into haram because in the end of the day, their values as a non-Muslim is that, you know, probably very liberal values and that human beings are only happy if they're able to be free and liberal to do everything. So they, from their value perspective, your religion is harming you and they're counseling that person outside of it. Um, so just going towards what you're saying, Sheikh, about, you know, the religion and the way they see religion and the biases that are there. Uh, no question about it. Um, so those are things to be aware of. Um, on the other hand, we have to acknowledge the reality. Not everyone's going to have access to someone who is a, you know, a solid Muslim counselor. So that does that mean then that they just abandon everything? And I would say no, because in our professional training, we're taught you cannot oppose your values, impose your values on your client, okay? Whatever those values are. And you work with whatever the client wants. So if the client says that I'm a Muslim and I don't believe in A, B, C, and D, and these are the challenges I'm having, they're supposed to work with you on that. They're not supposed to say, well, you're a young man and you watch some porn. It's normal. I mean, it's not the end of the world. They're not supposed to say that. So that's an imposition of their values on you, right? Mm -hmm. That's not working with your values. So you absolutely can. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't say if you don't have access to just forego uh, any counseling whatsoever. Um, but certainly, you know, you can you can ask questions about who you want to work with. Uh, you know, maybe you see a couple. And, uh, you know, you don't you shouldn't feel pressured to change who you are or that your beliefs, uh, you know, don't make sense or something like that. That's absolutely not what a professional counselor should be doing. And alhamdulillah, there certainly are uh, many people who have benefited um, from from those who maybe aren't Muslim because they don't have access to that. The brother we mentioned earlier, he didn't really have access to Muslim counselors. Um, but he was able to connect with people, sort of similar values, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. And he was able to overcome his thing. So we don't want to limit it, but we just want to be aware of, of who we are going to, you know, reach out to. Absolutely. Mm. So in regards to um, the receiver of the news of someone that may think that they're addicted, Right. Um, I have two questions. The first of them being, what is the sign or the, you know, when someone feels this or is doing, you know, consuming this type of uh, content, are they considered an addict? And number two, if the imam, the best friend, the coworker receives the information that you know the, the the person reaches out to them and says look i, I just I, I i can't talk to me and i trust you you know you're someone that i really look up to or you're someone that i respect i'm addicted to this i think i am 
how should they navigate through that? Like you mentioned earlier, it was mashallah, jazakallah for mentioning it. They don't want to hear that it's haram. You know, they don't want to hear, you know, they know that. That's why they're coming to you and they feel kind of guilty. What's the approach they should take? Should they just listen? Or what approach should they take? Maybe some words that can be used or, you know, to that degree. So those are the two questions. What's the sign that someone, you know, that a sign that they're probably addicted? And then secondly, the individual that hears that news, what type of trajectory should they be on? Uh, so the first question, uh, I'll just answer briefly. Um, we, we did speak about that on the Yatheen podcast, which was kind of dedicated uh, to that. But basically, how do you know if you're addicted to anything, whether it's uh, alcohol, gambling, whatever? W one sign is if you have, uh, if there's a major impairment disrupting your life. Okay. okay. So, um, you are constantly getting to school late and your grades are slipping because you're up late. Smoking, watching, drinking, whatever the case may be. Um, you have disconnected from your spouse because you are involved in, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the case may be. Um, you have, uh, you see your finances really being drained because of your spending behaviors, going back to, excessive gambling, right? Those are major impairments that are happening in life and, and are a sign that there, there's quite possibly an addiction to this substance or this process, whatever, whatever may be happening. So is there something major that's happening? Um, if, if everything is sort of going along well, smoothly, and you're falling into things every now and then, then I would say, you know, that's a bad habit mm -hmm. that needs to be improved. Like we all have bad habits that we're trying sure. to work on. Right. Um, so, you know, the, in that case, because sometimes we psych ourselves out if we say I'm addicted to something. Right. It's a very powerful thing to say. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have clients like in, in the last two years, whatever addiction they had, you know, maybe they've done it once or <laughs> twice or so. You know, I, I smoked a blunt, you know, in 2020. That's the last time or something like that. Right. That's not an addiction. Right. But then they say, you know, uh, 18 months passed and then I saw a friend who I hadn't seen for a while and then we smoked again and I feel terrible about it. That's not an addiction. That's a bad behavior that we're trying to improve. So we don't want to psych ourselves out. So uh, for, the, for the people that love them and for them themselves, is there a major impairment on life functioning? That's one way to tell for the addiction. In terms of uh, the imam or, or someone relieve, uh, receiving that, information sometimes the best thing we can say is not really sure what the answer is uh, or uh, how to help at this moment um but i appreciate you trusting me enough to tell me mm -hmm. and let's work on some resources we can find to help you get through this uh, my experience has been with especially as as the education is improving around these topics that many of our religious leaders alhamdulillah uh, i think they do understand that this is not really something which is you know in, in, in their training. You know, we, we don't learn addictions counseling when we're doing our Islamic studies. Um, so I, I think they're, they're, they are open to say that I, I don't have the answers to that, but inshallah, we can find some resources for you. Um, and even if that means, again, you can work with, let's say, a non-Muslim counselor if that's all you have, but that doesn't mean that your imam or scholar cannot be part of that process as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because obviously the counselor is not going to maybe know everything that you're saying, but you say, hey, this is 
this is important to me. This is sort of my religious leader. You can connect with him if you're ever lost in certain things like that. So, um, you know, in that way, I, I think there's more of a receptivity uh, to say that you're not an evil person because you're involved in something like this. I don't think an evil person would be there telling you how they want to stop this. That doesn't sound like an evil person to me, right? Um, so, uh, and, and we can actively work and having sort of our network. So I know a lot of imams now they have um, sort of like trusted, you know, like this is my three or four trusted counselors I can refer. I have, you know, a, a female counselor. I have, you know, whoever else, someone for family counseling, so whoever, whatever the case may be, but I've spoken to them, you know, that's, that, that's where we can take the responsibility. Um, I, I, I know what they believe. I know the approach they're taking and I'm comfortable um, recommending them and referring them to be part of the process. Cause it, the, the religious leader can still very much be part of the process. Um, but there's obviously certain things which uh, the training is not going to allow them to maybe help in um, as much. Absolutely. So we have a bunch of questions, but before we get to them, we do like to play a game of uh, rapid fire questions. If you're up for it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Right. Bismillah. So start off easy. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate or vanilla? Yeah. Uh, chocolate, the darker the better. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chai or coffee? Neither. Controversial, I know. Ooh, you don't drink caffeine? I don't. I don't. Not for any particular reason. I just never kind of got into it. Yeah, so. I'm kind of the same way. Very rarely will I drink caffeine. Anyways, that's what we want. or oceans? <laughs> uh, both. Hmm. What if you had to pick one? Oceans. All right. Uh, your favorite city, but not Mecca or Medina or Al-Quds? Toronto. Really? Well, yeah, you're from Toronto, right? Some I am of... not, but I have, a, I have a fond place. Toronto is where I started my Islamic studies initially. Um, so uh, that has a fun, like I learned my Arabic grammar in Toronto. Mashallah. So when I got when I went to Egypt, I was very uh, adamant to tell them because like, oh you know you learned here. I said no 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I learned the basis of everything I learned in this in, in the language Arabic language was in Toronto. Mashallah. Speaking of language, what language do you wish you knew? I deeply regret. I used to be fluent in Spanish. I mean, I could roll those R's like nobody's business. I still can, but uh, I lost fluency. I, I, I lost, and that's disappointing. That, that would be oh. a very valuable skill. In many, I mean, dawah, just practical life, I, I, yeah. it's something I wish I had kept up with. I'm guessing living in San Antonio and your name is Omar, people started speaking uh, in Spanish randomly. Well, I was, I was Omar. I grew up, uh, I grew up in, in Southern California, a very large Latino population. So in my high school, there were two other Omars, but their name was uh, Omar Badil and Omar Oregel. And then there was me, right? People don't even know what I am anyway. Um, but yes, I would get that a lot. Didn't have facial hair, just had a little, little, little few hairs here, you know, so I could, I could kind of swing it. And then I come in there, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> but yes it was it was not and and we had we had someone who lived with us kind of uh 
helped uh, around the house and stuff like that. And she only spoke Spanish. So it was constant immersion. And, um, you know, it was it was like our code language around other people uh, between me and my mom and, and brothers. So they kept up on a little bit better than I have. But I noticed when I get back in the environment, like, you know, because speaking is the first thing that goes. Yeah. But years later, when I was working in an environment where they were all speaking Spanish, like one of them said, you know, tell him to do this or something. I, and I went and I moved whatever that item was. And they're like, what, what, what happened? I said, well, you know, I, I understood everything you were saying. I just I can't respond. And they're like, oh, we better be careful speaking in front of you. <laughs> so, but yes, uh, that was a very long answer to uh, Spanish again. Inshallah, someday. Inshallah. Uh, what's the most interesting thing you've ever tasted or ate? It's a tough one. Before um, I'm um, so I'm a big, big Asian food fan in general. I think I have an Asian gene somewhere in my body. And, uh, so we used to go to this, uh, Chinese restaurant all the time, halal Chinese, and we would always get the same thing. So they had this thing on the menu. It was like Peking duck hmm. and I just, I, I was just, I would be like, I'm going to get the duck. I'm going to get the duck. And my mom would be like, why do you want to get the duck? Have you ever, no, I want to get the duck. So finally I got the duck. It was really expensive. Um, and let's just say it was interesting. I don't think I got through more than maybe half a bite. So I yeah. half a bite, half a bite. So that, that's, that was would it like be the one or- Was it the orange taste that? that got to you? Was it the orange taste that got to you? It, I don't know. Uh, it just, it just didn't work for me. <laughs> mom, mom was right as usual. She was wrong. <laughs> All right. What job do you think you'd be the worst at? The worst at a lot of jobs. <laughs> um, probably politician. No, that I, I would be pretty. I wouldn't be very good at that. Uh, you know, lying every other sentence is not something I'm particularly comfortable with. So. <laughs> I don't think I'd be a very good, I don't think I'd be a very good politician. All right. What was your first job? My first, like, real job uh, was, I, I was working at a UPS store. Yeah. Working nice. so I'll tell you a, a funny story the on delivery that. man. Uh, no, like in inside the store, okay. not not the UPS person. Um, so I was working and I got hired. I think around the holiday times, and uh, I was working one day. It was Juma, and it was the holiday season, like December. And I, I asked my manager. I said, uh, you know, I got to go to Juma, but there's no one here to cover. And uh, you know, he was kind of like his answer was kind of like kind of got to be there. He didn't immediately say no. but So I said, well, I got to go to Juma. So here I, I go out there at, at one o'clock in the afternoon. I just I just closed up the store. You know, I know that's normal now because of the work shortage. <laughs> but I was a pioneer and just saying, I'm going to I'm just going to close the store whenever I want. Right. So I closed it because I said, this is a fud, which is over, you know, earning a living. So um, I closed it. I said, like, you know, I'll be back and you know, back in a little bit or whatever. Uh, and I came back and, and I, I swear, subhanAllah, I have that the traffic that came to that store after was ridiculous. I couldn't even keep up. Some dude came in there to like ship tires to people. 
like you know how expensive it is to ship tire uh you know in a wow. ups store it, the line was just it was just madness how much it was so uh that was uh, the baraka of juma <laughs> oh <brother. laughs> all right last question uh if you had to be an animal what animal would you choose uh, uh what animal would i choose i would be one of those uh i would be a snow leopard uh because they can you know they're fast they can get what they need to get done but they can also hide like in complete daylight and you can't even see them uh, so sometimes I, I do wish i could just kind of hide out and blend in um, but then just kind of come out as necessary so i'm gonna go with a snow leopard and uh, by the way a pro tip don't ever take your kids to the zoo after like 3 p.m because all the animals are sleeping um and so they don't really see anything so we didn't actually see the snow leopard but just, Maybe you, you know, did see him. Life, life, tip, life tip for the. For the <laughs> there you go. All right, we got a bunch of questions. Alhamdulillah. Um, let's start off with this one. Say, how do Muslims deal with depression? Please offer some practical examples. I'll add to this. You mentioned the example of somebody who's you know, depressed and staying at home the whole time and doesn't have any motivation and you know, maybe staying at their parents' house or something like that. Uh, so in cases like that, how do you deal with that uh, if you're the person or if you're the family trying to help them get help and maybe they're resisting it? So I, I think resistance is probably the norm, but mm. all we can do see what we're trying to do is we're trying to just increase our chances. Mm. What is the best shot we have? Uh, getting upset at them and telling them how they're never going to mount to anything and how we're spending so much on your tuition and you're not going back to that's not really going to do uh, increased chances, right? All we can do, as painful as it is, is to keep gently reminding them um, and, and, you know, coming at a place of deep, of deep concern that look, we care about you. That's why we want you to go see this person. Right. Um, that's the best thing we can do when we try to bring it with the with the heat mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't that just pushes people away. So uh, when you see someone in that, you know, like I said, denial is going to be really the first step. And, and the reality is, if they don't want to take a step, there's not anything anyone can do about it. Right. They have to take the first step of, yes, I'm at least willing to do something about it. Um, so try to be uh, be supportive. And, you know, a, a lot of times there's a lot of anger from family members. Sometimes it's rightfully so. But mm -hmm. It's, it's just not going to help them get better, you know, almost certainly. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, we need to distinguish there's there's clinical depression. There's just feeling sad. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Prophet ﷺ obviously had uh, a lot of sadness when he lost people that he loved. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that we jump to everything and say it's depression. Mm -hmm. Right. If I got a bad grade on a test and we may say i'm depressed but you're not really depressed you're just sad about what happened now if that leads to not wanting to go back to class staying in your room missing the next quarter now these are signs of more serious so it's, it's sort of a, a a level um and again it goes back to major life impairments um mm -hmm. what although this is not necessarily an addiction but you know we're all going to be sad at times right uh, but that doesn't mean that that's like that, that that's clinical um, level of it clinical level depression uh, 
this is a good question as well. Uh, Sheikh Omar, considering the work you do with vulnerable populations with mental health challenges or faith-related challenges, how do you preserve your sanity and well-being while being of service? Um, I talk a lot uh, in my classes about self-care, and I actually will have my students do self-care projects rather than just paying lip service to it. So self-care, the idea that it's okay to say, I'm not going to you know, or, or like, I'm going to work till this time, and then I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go beyond that. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Uh, because again, if it's it's the plain analogy, right? Put your, put your mask on if the oxygen goes down before helping somebody else. If you can't do that, everybody's going to go down. But if you put your mask on first, you're giving the greater ch greatest chance for, for a lot of people to get through. Um, if, you know, Allah forbid, there's some tragedy on the plane going down. So um, I do a lot of that. It's it, it, so, you know, I'll, I'll put things like I won't, I won't work on certain days, certain times. Um, I'll block time off. Uh, I think also I, I just naturally have a personality. It doesn't get super involved and I'm able to sort of separate, you know, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, it, that doesn't mean you're not a human being or that you're not affected, but I think just naturally my personality I'm, I'm sort of able to distance myself a little bit mm. i think other counters that's more of a challenge for them mm. um but ultimately you know you do sort of i don't want to say desensitize but you figure out a way to sort of navigate your life without taking everything on because that's just that's just too intense you i mean you'll burn out in six months right you just won't make it that's yeah. why we see very very high burnout rates in like crisis counseling trauma counseling super intense stuff right so yeah. um you have to also kind of know your personality a little bit and mm -hmm. and know what you can take on and 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 what boundaries you can set absolutely it's it's so challenging span a lot i mean i'm sure as an imam you kind of get this too like where there's like a transference of that emotion they come to you with all these like worries and anxieties and they complain to you and then you listen to them and then they leave and they feel a bit better because they got to like talk to you about it but then you're feeling all the anxiety after they left you're like man that guy's life is so bad i feel so bad for him and like it's, it's kind of weighing on you um yeah. the other thing that happens sometimes is somebody will come and like complain about their wife for example like my wife does this does this does this and he like complains and you hear him out and you talk to him and you know give him some advice and then afterwards the thing he's complaining about which never bothered you before <laughs> starts to pop up <laughs> what? Watch yourself, shit. Watch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but then you realize, like, subhanAllah, that only came into my mind because somebody else said it. But, yeah. you know, we're, we're so feeble beings as human beings. Like, yeah. It's difficult to take it on. But those are some great points about, like, forcing yourself to disconnect and give yourself time off is really important. Uh, let's see a few other questions. Here's a good one. Question, does exercise, is ex, does exercise, should exercise be recommended for someone who is, uh, um, who is suffering porn addiction? In, in the, uh, is a gym specifically recommended? Thank you, and please pray for those dealing with this problem. Yeah. So may Allah so give relief to all those struggling. Exercise is recommended for everybody, uh, no matter what is happening. There are so many wonderful, incredible benefits. There's benefits just to walking. People that just walk normally every day are less depressed. There's something about going on a walk, which is it's just a game changer. 
So there, it's very exercises for everyone. I think what perhaps what they're saying here is that in a gym environment, uh, you know, maybe people's mm. dress or even being in close quarters. I think that's what they're trying to get at. Um, well, this is one of the blessings of the pandemic. I mean, you don't have to go to the you don't have to go to the gym anymore to try to get your swole on, right? Um, you have, I mean, you can, I have a full on machine that just goes on the wall now. I don't, I, I haven't gone to the gym since the pandemic started. Um, so there's many, many options at, at different price points as well, right? It's not just like um, limited to, 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 there's numerous, numerous things that you can do. So if that really is an issue, uh, then I don't see there's any reason why you can't do that in, in another environment and be just as effective. Um, the issue of, you see, it, it's, it's about getting to the root of the problem because you're always going to be around people that are, you know, not dressed in accordance maybe with what your beliefs and values are um, or speak in a manner of speech that matches your. So that's always going to be a, you can't just kind of hide, right, and avoid it. Um, but certainly in, in a context like this where maybe something is, is, really out there, then you, you do have options. But yes, exercise for everyone, regardless of what's happening. It's been shown to be effective with depression. I mean, it's very, very important. So they call behavior activation or something like that. I'm trying to learn the lingo a little bit. <laughs> Psychobabble. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. But you know, it, it's an interesting point there because I think there's this question of like, is there more mental health issues now or what did it always exist and just wasn't diagnosed? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think there is more now because we're just sitting at home or sitting at the office, sitting on your office chair all the time. And that lack of doing things and working and, you know, in the past you'd have to walk to get water out of the well and bring it back to your house. Like you're going to be working all day, but that probably did help people with anxiety and, and depressions. Anyways, just my thought. Mm. We're past the hour, so I don't want to go to more through more questions. Um, but we really appreciated your time, uh, Sheikh Omar, and uh, hope inshallah that you'll be back with us soon. Inshallah. One inshallah. question we do like. Great to see both. One question, just as we end, we like to ask: uh, Is there advice you would like to give your younger self? Advice I would give my younger self. Um, I do firmly believe that everything sort of happened the way it was supposed to happen. So um, I, I don't know if I would do anything over, but that's not really an interesting answer to your question. So to answer your question, um, I would say, uh, There's nothing, how am I trying to word this? Being yourself is good enough. Hmm. So uh, a lot of times I like, you know, growing, oh, you, you know, you need to, you need to speak more, you do this more, you do that more. And now at this point in life, I'm like, Alhamdulillah, that's how it was. I'm glad I didn't do what other people told me. It just wasn't who I was. So uh, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're good enough as, as you are. Always with room for improvement, of course. Absolutely. Awesome advice. And uh, inshallah, we'll be back next week with another guest. And we're really happy to have had Dr. Omar Hussain. Hopefully, he'll join us again soon. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair. And uh, assalamu alaikum until next week.
You owe me a gym sesh, by the way. A gym session? Yes. Years ago, you, you you're supposed to you you know me you Rehan the whole situation. What happened? What happened, Shake? I'm uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, look at this. he stuttered. He stuttered. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. <laughs> Come on, man. He's working out at home, and you got all these. Well, yeah. right. It's a little. You got the little tonal <laughs> machine. Mashallah. I got I got I got soft at home, Shay. <laughs> You need to come out to play, man, on the field. It won't be the gym or anything like that. I so. need to, what's the program you got going there? Maybe I need to join up. Bismillah. I'll let you know, man. I'm actually doing this weekend with the young guys here at Epic. Yeah. Yeah. Better go off, man. It's good seeing you. Likewise. Oh, my God. Good night. Take care.